Hey, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you listen. Whenever you listen to this. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and this is the Unqualified Scholars Podcast. This is the regular edition. We've been doing some special editions lately. Um, <laughs> the Beach, talking about Shoreline Church. But Alyssa, you have a question for me today that we have not pre-discussed. Correct. So my question today is, what do you know about the Stanford Prison Experiment? <gasps> I think I've heard about this one. Yeah, this is the one where, like, they they locked people, they they assigned people the task to be prisoners or guards. Correct. And what what did they introduce to them? Anyway, they introduced something. They had like this. It was multiple days. Yes. And over time, like the prison, the people playing prisoners were actually became bad. They they were very bad and the mm -hmm. guards became very abusive and they had to stop the experiment if I remember correctly. Yes, they did. Um, each participant was paid for it, but it did turn where um, even though they were classmates and equals mm. outside the experiment, right. inside the experiment, they, the prison guards were bullies and wow. not very nice and the prisoners acted like prisoners and that sort of thing. So that's yeah. I don't. I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I know what. Like, is there an is there an analog to like middle school boys somewhere? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's kind of it was a an experiment on the um, human nature and that sort mm. of thing too. So human nature is a like we've we've done that experiment. We're bad, right? <clears throat> Isn't that the lesson of history? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I'll have to thank you for not asking about Christina Aguilera. So now I can <laughs> listen to a podcast about the Stanford experiment. There also is a movie, I believe, oh. from 2015. So. Oh, nice. Movies are easier than reading books. Y yes, very down, true. Turn your brain off. Um, so something I did uh, do a little bit this week. So we're in the middle of our, or are we in the middle? Yeah, we're in the middle of our At the Movie series, which is kind of a summer series, something a little bit more fun. And uh, we watched The Bad Guys together this week. Yes, my kids have been obsessed with it since. Oh, really? Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. They liked it a little bit better than Puss in Boots. Yeah, Puss in Boots was a little scary. And this week we're going to do Pinocchio, but not the new Pinocchio, the old Pinocchio. Cartoon? Cartoon, yeah. Not the one with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. No. Oh. There's been like like a whole bunch of Pinocchio reboots. Mm -hmm. Pinocchio is a very popular idea, I guess, for the movies. Um. But the 2022 Pinocchio um, has some scary scenes in it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the way that I usually do this is I'll read some reviews. Um, I'll go to Plugged In, which is a Christian reviewer, and they'll kind of give you some highlights of the movie and stuff. And so I did this, uh, you know, a couple months ago. I was like, okay, let me set the summer schedule. And then uh, right before I ordered the DVD of the movie... I'm reading some reviews, and I like to go to the worst reviews mm -hmm. and then the best reviews, right? Because I've reviewed some books for some friends, right? And yeah. it's a five-star review because they're good books and good friends. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but when you read the one stars, you can sort of get a feel for what people really, really, really don't like about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so apparently the 2022 Pinocchio is a little scary. Yeah. And so we have little kids. Well, you have little kids. Yes. And I have grandchildren. I don't want them to be scared. So we'll go with the 1940 Pinocchio that is still a little scary. Mm -hmm. But Interesting tie-in with Shrek. 
Oh. There is a theory that the donkey was originally a Pinocchio. <gasps> oh. You'll have to look that one up. I'll have to. Yeah, I don't know anything about that there, either. There's like a fan, fic, not fan fiction, but fan theory about That's it. That's beautiful. I like that. So. Shrek is my favorite. <laughs> but what I did do this week, so we had our national conference and, and my friend Sarah covered the pulpit for me, which she did a great job. Um, I should have had her come and talk about her ideas, but <clears throat> uh, she took the bad guys movie and she actually does train dogs. Mm-hmm. And her dog Bentley was a bad boy and is now a good boy. <clears throat> and so she brought her dog Bentley and it was a good time. Um, but I, I went to national conference and I took, um, I took about six books um, some of them that I hadn't finished. And I finished two of the books that I had been, like I read through them and mm-hmm. I got about halfway and then I was like, okay, other things got in the way. So because I like to count, you know, how many books did I read this year? <laughs> um, I thought, okay, I'm going to knock these two out so I can count them. Right. Yeah. And one of the books that I finished was a book called Knowledge and Christian Belief by a guy named Alvin Plantinga. Have you ever heard of Alvin? I have not. So Alvin, I actually met Alvin Plantinga. I, <clears throat> Alvin has done some, some great work in Christian philosophy, and it's actually really, really important work in Christian philosophy. It's actually going to change the future because he, he basically made Christian belief equal to non-Christian or atheistic belief. So he's, he's actually done that kind of level work. And so it's at the level of colleges and philosophy departments are now like, well, have you read Plantinga? <laughs> and so I was at a, um, uh, I went to school in Grand Rapids and met some people there. And we went to Grand Rapids to see a friend of ours in a play. Okay. Just completely social event, not looking, not an academic conference or anything <laughs> like that. And so while I'm at the conference, I'm looking around and there's an older gentleman who is Alvin Plantinga. Mm. And so I looked at my wife and I was like, holy cats, that's Alvin Plantinga. She said, you should go say hello. And I said, I don't do that. <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm the bookish introvert. Like mm-hmm. I might know who you are. but um, And at the time, I had not read Alvin Plantinga's work. So I walked up to him and I said, excuse me, sir, are you Alvin Plantinga? And he said, why, yes, I am. And I didn't have like a follow up. Like I, I, I became instantly like Twitter pated. I was like, "Oh, it's it's really nice to meet you." Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't say I've read your work. <laughs> I could say I I know what you did, right? Right. Academically, I know what you did, but I'm planning on reading your book. I'm gonna read your book. Um, and at the time, he had like the three volume set that he had was about warranted Christian belief, and it's. <clears throat> It's dense because he's a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And um, so I met Alvin Plantinga. I don't know like if he walked home that night and was like, you wouldn't believe this weird guy that I met. <laughs> um, while we were at the play with my friend Steve, uh, I said to my friend Steve, hey, that's Alvin Plantinga. And he's like, no kidding. That is Alvin Plantinga. We should go talk to him. I was like, I tried. <laughs> um, and my friend Steve would have been able to pull off a conversation because he's very good at that kind of thing. We didn't go back and meet Alvin again. But I did this week. I finished. I found out that he has a book that is. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily easier, but it's an abridged version of his arguments um, for warranted Christian belief. And so I was able to finish that this week. Um, I'm going to have to read it again, you know, because I really want to soak and marinate here in these ideas. 
One of the things that he did is he demonstrated that Christian belief has warrant, that there are good reasons to believe in Christianity. And that's important because there are other people who say that you shouldn't believe in Christianity because it's irrational or it doesn't make sense or you don't have good reasons for it. Um, Well, when you think about the reasons that you have for something, Mm -hmm. um, I asked you earlier off off tape or whatever, off SD card, (laughs) um, what you had for breakfast yesterday. Toast and Taco Bell. Toast and Taco Bell. I I had a McDonald's sausage McMuffin. Why do I know that, right? I remember going through the drive-thru, even though memory is imperfect, right? Yes. You know, even though memory is imperfect, like if I was to say, what did you have for breakfast two weeks ago? I can probably tell you because I pretty much have the same thing. Because you're you're a creature of habit, right? Yeah. Uh, We are too, like usually it's McDonald's because you can get two sausage McMuffins for $3. And if you listen to this 50 years in the future, you might be like, what's McDonald's? (laughs) Who knows? Um, <clears throat> three dollars. That's great. You could you could even say what are dollars? That might be fun too. So, um, warrant is the reasons that you have to believe something, and the something that you believe is actually true. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing in an account of what's called knowledge. We know something when it's true, and we have good reasons to believe it. So mm-hmm. true is sometimes hard to get to. Um. Is the sun going to rise tomorrow? Yes. Yeah. Do, well, do you have good reasons to believe that? Because it happens every day. Yeah. Will there be mayflies in Ohio in June next year? Probably. Probably, yeah. You know, why? Because there were mayflies in June this year. Um, every year. But. Yeah, and probably going back to when this place was called, hey, there's mayflies in June, right? <laughs> what was Oak Harbor called 500 years ago? Hey, there's mayflies in June. Um, what about math? Do you do math? Yeah. I mean, have to, to a point. Right, yeah. I mean, balancing the checkbook. Yeah, I'm not solving any algebra. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're not doing trigonometry on the weekends? No. No, not at all. Me neither. And usually I just take the bank's word for how much money I have in my account, right? (laughs) Um, Hey, this looks like a funny charge in my account. No, that was me. Um, So there are things that we believe that we have good reasons for but we don't always start with like an argument from like, I don't have to construct an argument from memory. Mm-hmm. I just remember. And so it's what's called a basic belief. And so uh, warrant is important for Christian belief um, because we believe that we have good reasons to believe in Christianity and Jesus Christ and the crucifixion in his deity and his resurrection. We have good reasons to believe those things. Mm-hmm. And so what are those good reasons? And what are good reasons that sort of oppose the idea that those things aren't true, like atheism or naturalism or any other ism that you can think of? So uh, the reason that I get to this, why is this important? I was listening to a a podcast discussion because I'm trying to listen to more podcasts, (laughs) right? And sort of trying to understand what they are and how they work. And this was between Jonathan Haidt and Tim Keller. Now, Tim Keller has recently passed away. Um, And John Haidt is a moral philosopher. So Tim Keller is a Christian. uh, Mm -hmm. John Haidt's an atheist. And they're having a discussion about, you know, the best possible society and how to construct a moral society, a good society. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they have some different starting points, but they had a lot of common ground. It was a good discussion. Mm -hmm. 
And afterwards in the Q&A, one of the students stood up and he's like, he gave the problem of evil to Tim Keller. And so one of the ancient objections to Christian belief is the problem of evil, right? So there's evil in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way that this argument is kind of constructed, it's on page 116. Is that a bookmark? Um, No. (laughs) Close, but not. So there's an old question. It goes like this. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is impotent. Hmm. Is God able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. He's bad. Is he both able and willing? Then why do we have evil? Mm -hmm. And that sort of um, question has some assumptions underneath of it that... Uh, planting a kind of dismantles. And so when the student brought it up to Tim Keller, this was like 2016, he was like, well, have you read Plantinga, you know, (laughs) who says that warrant, you know, we have good reasons to believe Mm -hmm. that God is, that God exists because the argument from evil is intended to say, well, if this God can't exist, but why are we talking about it? And why are people like in all different kinds of cultures why are people attuned to the existence of God at all? Right. Like we don't argue about the existence of pink elephants or pink, <laughs> pink elephants with, you know, octopus tentacles because uh-huh. they're not a thing. Right. Um, we're arguing about God because if God does exist, then he has certain claims that we have to answer. And so um, <clears throat> this ancient objection got brought up and he cited planting and I got all excited and uh, that's why I finished the book. Um, that argument relies on basic beliefs, things that are assumed to be true that are not built off of other ideas. And many of these things that we believe rely on basic beliefs, things like memory, reason, um, math. And there's also this thing that one of the things that, that planting is going to argue for is that there is a properly basic belief in God. Okay. And it's called the sensus divinitatis. It has to be Latin, right? That's Latin, yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty easy to figure out a sense of the divine. Mm-hmm. So if God created us, and he did, yes, he created us with an awareness of his existence, okay? Okay. That... Christians believe was somehow broken, but not destroyed in the fall of man. So I I told a joke this weekend. I did a wedding this weekend. It was Mm -hmm. beautiful. It was a lot of fun. A lot of unchurched people there. And so I told a church person joke. (laughs) Adam and Eve are in the garden, or no, Adam's in the garden. And he has looked at all the animals and there's not been a suitable companion found for him. Mm -hmm. And so God says, not a problem. I'm going to make you the perfect woman. She's going to cook for you. She's going to clean for you. She'll be available. She'll be loving. She'll be kind. She'll be everything that you ever imagined. She'll be beautiful. All those things. And Adam says, wow, that's fantastic. What's that going to cost me? God says, an arm and a leg. And Adam says, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Are you glaring at me? Um. And what's funny about telling that joke in a room full of people who had no idea about the story of Adam and Eve is that they didn't laugh. Mm. And so if you're not aware of that biblical story, you don't really have the background for it. 
And that's where I think like there's this sense of the divine. Like they would believe in the existence of God, but they just haven't worked at it or gone towards anything with it because that sense is kind of broken. And so one of the things that uh, Thomas Aquinas says, and Alvin Plantinga talks about Thomas Aquinas on page 31, which I also did not mark. <laughs> Aquinas says this, to know in a general and confused way that God exists is implanted in us by nature. Okay? Um, and that's where Thomas Aquinas is a Catholic theologian, all right? So okay. he's uh, Catholic. This is, uh, I think, 1300s is when he was around, <clears throat> and he wrote a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so John Calvin, writing in the 1500s, would agree with him. Okay. And Calvin, like... He was looking for ways that the Catholic Church got it wrong. Right. In his humble but accurate opinion. And so there are a lot of times when like I read Calvin and I'm like, you're just you're just mad at the Catholics here. You just <laughs> want to not be Catholic as completely as possible. Because the Catholic Church in the fifteen hundreds had a lot of things going on. And that's when the Reformation kicked off. Right. All these reformers are trying to figure it out. Figure out Christianity from the Bible. They went back to the sources. And that right. was that was good. That was important. But Calvin agrees with Aquinas that there is a sense of the divine. And it actually goes back even further to this guy, the Apostle Paul. Have you heard of him? I've heard of him a couple yeah, times. Yeah, heard of him. Yeah. Guy who wrote the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because they have the sense of the divine. Because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he's writing a very detailed, systematic treatment of the life and significance of Jesus Christ. And he starts with everything is bad, right? Everything is full of sin, everything is in rebellion against God. And he starts with um, pagans. So he mm -hmm. starts with people who are, like they have gods, small g gods. Right. They have the sense of the divine, but they don't turn it the right direction. And he says, look, they know, they're aware that there's a God. They should be mm -hmm. turning it towards the right direction, but they don't. Why? Because if you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden in the fall, the sense of the divine it's broken, just like everything else. Mm -hmm. Our reason is broken. You know, when you think about, uh, so philosophers are the guys who do disciplined thinking, and disciplined thinking is hard, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't want to be consistent. You know, <laughs> we, we, we don't. Um, <clears throat> so I like it when my wife puts me to bed at night, right? <laughs> and it, it's like, I want you to come to bed with me. I want you to you know, rub my back so mm -hmm. I can fall asleep. And sometimes, like, that's an unreasonable request, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. I still want it. Right. Uh, what do I want for breakfast? Pancakes. Well, can I have pancakes every morning and not weigh 600 pounds? Well, maybe not. Well, depends on the pancake. No, I mean, like, pancake pancakes, not that whole wheat nonsense. The high protein pancake? The high protein, yeah, no. No, real pancakes. Low protein, <laughs> high sugar, all that stuff. <laughs> Um, and so we like we constantly see in our lives that we run after things that actually aren't good for us mm -hmm. or that are patently bad for us, and yet we keep doing it when reason suggests that you should just not do those things. 
So our senses are broken. The sense of the divine is broken. It's bent. Um, our moral compass is bent. Our intellect is bent. Um, and it takes disciplined thinking to get it straight. And so Calvin would say, um, sort of just going back to the sense of the divine, he says this, There is within the human mind, and indeed by natural instinct, an awareness of divinity. This we take to be beyond controversy. To prevent anyone from taking refuge in the pretense of ignorance, God himself has implanted in all men a certain understanding of his divine majesty. Since, therefore, men one and all perceive that there is a God and that he is their maker, they are condemned by their own testimony because they have failed to honor him and to consecrate their lives to his will. Uh, and he goes on because that's the way that John Calvin kind of rolls. He just kind of goes on and on and on, sometimes for pages. Um, <clears throat> but Plantinga picks up the idea from Aquinas and Calvin, and he says, these guys have warrant for their belief in the sense of the divine. What is it? It's properly basic, which is what Paul says. It's there. This is why we argue about God. And so what he also does is planting a kind of flips the script on the naturalist who would say, no, they don't have warrant by pointing to the beliefs that a naturalist would have mm -hmm. that he's relying on properly basic beliefs anyway. And so to say that the sense of the divine is properly basic is the same thing as saying that memory is basic mm -hmm. or that math is basic. Um, and he does it, you know, this is, you know, a shortened version, but he does it in a, in a long series of arguments. Um, and he's right. And that's, that's changing a lot of philosophy departments, a lot of, like, top-tier intellectual discussions. And that's why Tim Keller was able to say to this student who came out and said, hey, uh, God is... There can't be a God because there's evil in the world. The answer to that is that there's evil in the world because God created us with freedom. Yeah. God created us with the ability to choose, and what he well, wants yep. us to do is to love him back. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have that sense of the divine in us, because God wants us to love him back and to discipline our thoughts, to discipline our sense of the divine. Like I can't just go around... Um, <clears throat> frolicking through the forest with the trees, you know, dressed in tree bark and chanting druidic songs. That's the sense of the divine without any control pointing it in the right direction. Right? Uh -huh. Now, if you have this disturbing image of me frolicking through the trees, you know, <laughs> dressed in tree bark, that's never going to happen, right? Um, and that's where, like, things like history and tradition come into play. Mm -hmm. History and tradition is full of things that are bad, you know, because people. Right. People haven't disciplined their sense of the divine and their reason and their memory to come back to the scriptures and see the whole counsel of scripture. We were talking about this really uh, in the pre pregame, mm -hmm. you know, um, that we like what's the best possible culture and how do we get there and how do groups of people who disagree about the existence of God even even talk together? Right. You know, all those things are real hard things. And so um, Alvin sort of follows up with the, um, I'm going to give you a whole paragraph and then you can chew on it, all right? Okay. I'll take Calvin as suggesting that there is a kind of faculty, like sight or hearing, or a cognitive mechanism, what he calls a sensus divinitatis, our sense of divinity, which in a wide variety of circumstances produces in us beliefs about God, 
These circumstances trigger the disposition to form the beliefs in question. They form the occasion on which those beliefs arise. Under these circumstances, we develop or form theistic beliefs. More exactly, these beliefs are formed in us by those circumstances. In the typical case, we don't consciously choose to have those beliefs. Instead, we find ourselves with them, just as we find ourselves with perceptual and memory beliefs. You don't and can't simply decide to have this belief, thereby acquiring it. These passages suggest that awareness of God is natural, widespread, and not easy to forget, ignore, or destroy. And here's where he kind of, this is kind of the money point right here. Okay. 70 years of determined but unsuccessful Marxist efforts to uproot Christianity in the former Soviet Union tend to confirm this claim. And so that's where, like, if you look at the history of the Soviet Union, they wanted a naturalistic state with no belief in God, and you can't do it Mm -hmm. because you can't crush the sense of the divine and still be human. And so what's, like, what does this mean for the man on the street, right? Mm -hmm. How would this idea trickle down? And I I don't see that we've really seen it. Like there isn't a Bluey cartoon, is it? A, is it called Bluey? The Disney, yeah, Bluey. Bluey, yeah, okay. There is no Bluey episode about the census divinitatis and Alvin Plantinga. Like, no, Blippi's not going to go meet Alvin Plantinga and and have a show about that, right? He could, but no, at least not yet. Yes, but as those ideas sort of trickle down, you'll see them in art. You'll see them in film. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a new. Uh, a new renewal of Christianity in the world around us. Maybe I won't see it. Maybe Mm -hmm. your kids will see it. Yeah. You know, but what it's going to be is something that we recognize that belief in the specifics of Christianity have good reasons behind them. Mm -hmm. And so when our worldview comes out into the world, people will have to say, okay, you get a seat at the table as a Christian Mm -hmm. because your beliefs have good reasons behind them. And that, I think, is an exciting thing. That's the reason why, you know, in this podcast discussion between Tim Keller and John Haight, um, they can have a discussion, you mm-hmm. know, because they recognize Alvin Plantinga's work, that both those sets of ideas have warrant. And as those guys are trying to say, hey, let's ask the question, what does it look like to have a just and good society? Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. Now, for me, like, what does it look like to have a just and fair society in the United States of America right now? Mm. We have to stop spending so much money. Yeah. That's my thing. But um, So anyway, you can have confidence as a Christian that your beliefs have good reasons behind them, even if you don't fully understand Alvin Plantinga's work. I'm going to have to read this again, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to go through it and read it and think about it. Try to. It'll probably come out in some sermons because it'll maybe illustrations and examples. Because one of the things we're going to talk about is, um, you know, uh, decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that starts with uh, the virtue of humility. You have to be able to be wrong mm-hmm. in order to learn how to be right. Right. And you have to learn how to surface options to make good decisions. And I think that there's a lot in the Bible about that. We just have to kind of get there uh, in our sermon calendar. But what you can take away from this is that there are good reasons to believe in Christianity. And so if somebody comes to you with the argument from evil, you don't have to have the answer, right? <laughs> you can just say, I don't know the answer, but I know that there is an answer. Mm-hmm. And so in that answer, you can have confidence and you can say, I'm going to call my pastor and see if he remembers what he read from Alvin Plantinga. And he'll probably tell you the annoying story of the day that he met Alvin Plantinga and 
biffed it. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's uh, that's what I have for you today. Um, next week I'll be preaching about Pinocchio. Pinocchio probably has something to do with lying, don't you think? That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, that's the story of Pinocchio. Right. Wouldn't it be great if somebody's nose grew every time they told a lie? I don't know. That would be... Be interesting. That'd be interesting. I think I'd be okay with that. Unless... I'm going to have to edit the whole thing.